Remember when Bill Murray's character uttered, anything different is good, in the classic movie Groundhog Day? Well, that idea can also be applied to farming and pest control. There are many different ways to farm and many different methods, tools, and strategies that farmers can use to control the pests and disease that prey on our food. This is not unlike the journey Murray's character Phil takes in the movie, hilariously trying to make it out of the time loop he finds himself in and make it to tomorrow. Groundhog Day is a great example of finding different ways to solve a problem. And recently, there have been a crop of these types of movies and TV shows making their way to our screens, like Happy Death Day and Russian Doll. They are great reminders that ingenuity and original thinking can help you out of many jams. If the jam you find yourself in concerns bugs, then we're typically quite open to a few options that involve killing the invaders ourselves or we're willing to hire an expert service to do the job. If your house or apartment is overrun with ants or roaches or fleas, you're probably going to do something about it. And if you're unfortunate enough to get a bed bug infestation, you may have to consider some pretty extreme solutions to eliminate that threat. In an earlier podcast, I described the recently introduced pest, the brown marmorated stink bug, a pest that likes to migrate inside of houses in the weeks leading up to winter. In these situations, killing something makes sense. Farmers often find that their crops are being attacked by bugs of various types, and they want and need to do something about it. So farmers and non-farmers can both relate to times when they need to do something about a pest. But there are actually lots of different ways, different options for how to do that. And so the title of today's podcast is, There's More Than One Way to Kill a Bug. Perhaps the most familiar way to kill a bug is using physical methods like a fly swatter or a shoe. That isn't a practical approach for an entire farm field, but there are physical approaches used by farmers. For instance, the California strawberry growers have found that by running a big vacuum machine over the rows, they can keep the population of ligus bugs in check. That means that you and I are able to buy strawberries that are not marked and deformed by the feeding of this large true bug. Homeowners can also buy special bug vacuums that are a good way to deal with something like those stink bugs if they invade your house. Apparently, you shouldn't just squish them because of the stink part. Perhaps the simplest kind of physical control is a barrier. For something like a greenhouse growing vegetable crops, screens are a simple and practical way to keep out bugs, just as they are for our homes. Another physical way to deal with pests is with traps. And many homeowners from areas where there's lots of mosquitoes use a bug zapper to protect themselves while on the porch. The mosquitoes are attracted to a light or a source of CO2, and then there's an electrical discharge to kill them. In agriculture, the traps might just have some sort of juice or a, with a smell that attracts the bugs, or it might be loaded with a pheromone that is being used to lure the pest and get it into a container from which it can't escape or get it to land on some sticky surface. Traps used in farming are usually more for getting a feel of what kind of pests are showing up in big numbers than actually a way to achieve pest control just by trapping. 
another way to kill a bug is to drown it. Insects and mites breathe in and out through small openings all over their body, called spiracles. Particularly for insects that are small and soft-bodied, you can effectively control them with water that includes a surfactant, or an insecticidal soap. You can make such a spray yourself using a bit of dishwashing detergent in water. For this approach to work, the spray has to completely cover the plant, including the underside of the leaves, which is often where the pests are feeding. If you have whiteflies or aphids or mealybugs in your garden or landscape, this can be a good approach. EPA-registered soaps of this nature are actually commonly used in farming. A similar drowning strategy can be done using various oils. Now, particularly in organic farming, oils derived from plants or from petroleum, mineral oil, are used extensively for the control of certain insects and mites. Most insect pests start each new season with a relatively small population that has successfully overwintered. The pest only becomes a serious threat for the crop if it can increase its numbers over several generations. So there are a number of pest control strategies that involve disrupting the bug's reproduction. In some cases, there are pest species that can only survive on the specific crop and not on any local weeds. In that scenario, it's possible for the farmers to organize a crop-free period in a given region so that there's no way for the pests to keep going, except maybe to re-enter from a distant point. And there are certain crop protection chemicals called insect growth regulators, which don't actually kill the bug, but they keep it from going through its various larval stages and thereby preventing it from reaching the reproductive adult stage. There's another method called pheromone confusion where many small emitters loaded with an insect-specific pheromone are spread around, say, in something like an orchard or vineyard, so that the male insects are diverted and don't actually find a real mate. And then there's another strategy called sterile male release, in which pest insects are raised in captivity and then treated in such a way that the males are sterile, usually by exposure to gamma radiation. If large numbers of these males are released, they mate with the wild females, and the result is far fewer bug babies. This approach has frequently been used for mosquito control to protect people, and has also been used in some cases, maybe where there's a new invasive pest of a crop, such as when the Mediterranean fruit fly uh, became a threat to California a while back. Several years ago, researchers at Oxford University in the UK used a genetic engineering approach to raise a population of a pest in captivity and then guarantee that there were only sterile males left for a release. These males are more competitive for breeding than those partially compromised by the radiation exposure. This method has been quite successful for dealing with Zika virus in various areas around the world, but sadly it is used far less than it could be due to GMO phobia. It would be an ideal solution for a new invasive pest like the spotted-winged Drosophila, a fruit fly that has recently become a big issue in many fruit crops in the Americas. Another pest control strategy that can work in certain cases is to simply repel the insect and not actually kill it. For instance, there are reflective plastic mulches that make some insects avoid the fields where they're used. And DEET, for example, is a familiar chemical repellent that humans use on their skin protect themselves from mosquitoes and ticks. 
there are also chemical repellents uh, used in agriculture. Some just generally drive the pest away, while others are particularly good at convincing the female insect to avoid laying eggs on the sprayed crop. There are also approaches to bug control based on biological agents. And this method leans heavily on the survival of the fittest theme and is tinged with a bit of the Hunger Games flavor. There are bugs that eat other bugs, like the familiar ladybug or lacewing. These and other predators can often keep the pest bug population in check. There are also things called parasitoids, often tiny wasps that lay their eggs in the pest insect so that later their larvae can hatch out and uh, eat their host. When a new pest arrives in an area, it often doesn't have many of these natural enemies. The glassy-winged sharpshooter is a new pest introduced into California about 10 years ago. It is particularly troublesome because it spreads a bacterium that can kill grapes. And another such new pest is the Asian citrus psyllid that spreads the HLB bacterial disease that kills citrus trees. For both of these pests, California researchers have explored the parts of the world where they came from originally and, and, and found some of their natural enemies. After doing the homework to make sure that these insects won't become pests themselves, they brought the good candidates to California to start building new populations of these beneficials to make it a little bit easier for California farmers to deal with these new pests. There are predatory mites that can eat the crop-damaging mites. And there are companies that raise these tiny creatures so that they can be gently spread throughout a field. That spreading job is usually done by hand, but lately people have been experimenting with small, low-flying drones to do that job. And there are also biocontrol strategies based on certain fungi, certain nematodes, that specifically attack bugs. And these are raised in captivity and then introduced into the field to attack the pest. The last big category of ways to kill a bug are the chemicals that are toxic to the pest, things we usually call insecticides. But even within this category, there are many different mechanisms by which the insect is killed. Again, many ways to kill a bug. Chemicals for killing insects isn't something that started with people. In fact, many plants produce their own chemicals for the purpose of defending themselves against pests. In some cases, it's possible to extract such chemicals from one plant species and use them as a natural product spray on another crop. And there are other organisms like bacteria, fungi, and actinomycetes that naturally produce insecticidal chemicals as they grow. And these can be fermented in a tank in the lab, and then the chemical produced is formulated into an agricultural pest spray. Now, some very old pesticides based on things like sulfur and copper do what they do in a rather non-specific way, disrupting many functions at once. And this usually takes substantial doses. Modern insecticides generally require far smaller doses because they act by inhibiting some particular enzyme, an enzyme that's critical for the pests to survive. Now, some of the earliest synthetic chemical pesticides called organophosphates or carbamates inhibit an enzyme called cholinesterase. And it plays a key role in the neural function of both insects and animals. And it was possible to use those products with relative safety because the dose needed to kill the bug was so much lower than what it would take to injure a larger animal or people. Still, chronic exposure to these CEI compounds or cholinesterase inhibitors could eventually cause trouble. 
So over the last few decades, the use of CEIs has declined dramatically as new pest control options have been discovered. And the best part about these modern insecticides is that they've been designed to specifically inhibit enzymes that only occur in the insects and not in animals. Now, a classic example of toxin specificity like this comes from another example of biocontrol. It's based on a particular soil-dwelling bacterium called Bacillus thuringiensis, usually known as Bt. Different subspecies and strains of this bacterium make unique proteins that are specifically toxic to just a certain subset of pests. And when the protein gets into the right insect's gut, it is partially digested, and, and part of it can very specifically bind with and disrupt the bug's gut lining, eventually killing it. One type of BT only affects caterpillars. Another affects only the larval stages of beetles. And another type only works on things like flies and mosquitoes. These bacteria can be brewed up in a fermentation tank, dried, and sprayed on crops to control insects, but with minimum disruption to those beneficial insects because of the selectivity of that toxin. The bacterium does not have to be alive or active. It's just there for its protein toxin. And BT sprays like this have been used in agriculture since the 1960s. But the protein is not very stable in sunlight, so it has to be applied over and over again. Since the mid-1990s, there have been several genetically engineered crops in which the bacterial gene for the protein toxin is inserted into the plant's genome so that it makes its own BT toxin protein. And these crops have been extremely attractive to farmers, but only a small subset of the possible uses have been commercialized because of anti-GMO fears and uh, the related brand protectionism in the food industry. As I mentioned before, most modern synthetic insecticides have been designed to inhibit enzymes that are not found in animals. And there's an organization called IRAC, standing for Insect Resistance Action Committee, and they keep track of how the various classes of insecticides work and which enzymes they inhibit. And this is important because farmers need to mix and match those tools so they don't end up driving the pest to evolve resistance to those insecticides. So as you can see, there are many ways to kill a bug. And the more different strategies a farmer can combine or use in sequence, the less chance there is that the pest will evolve resistance to any of the specific tools. This sort of resiliency through diversity is central to sustainable pest management programs and the continued ability of farmers to produce the crops that we all need. So it's a good thing that there's more than one way to kill a bug. You can follow me on Twitter at GrapeDoc, at G-R-A-P-E-D-O-C, and visit my blog at www.popagriculture.com.